0: Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's first letter to Timothy. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started.
1: Now, uh, here we've been watching Timothy. Uh, He's been directing, uh, being directed by Paul. And and it was to set things in order in the church. Bring these things. This is how you're to conduct yourselves, or how you're to behave in the church. And so from chapter one, we see that Timothy was writing to, uh, receiving from Paul, that the importance was the doctrine. So important that you keep the word of God there that you you're not teaching anything else don't listen to these false teachers that are coming through but that you're actually teaching you're you're actually uh staying f- uh, firm in the word and so you're not to insert you know uh, these false doctors don't let them creep into the church but you stay true to the word And in doing so, you know, saying true to the word, you're going to be able to minister to people the way God would have them minister to, and not necessarily the way the, you know, these false teachers want to minister to people because they're out there with their hooks in that bait, trying to just, you know, get people to jump on board with whatever they're teaching. They want to grow the crowds. They're not worried about the kingdom of heaven so much as their kingdom or their, you know, whatever they have in store. But when you think about, if I was to ask you a question, what is the greatest enemy to the church? We'd all have to answer nothing, right? Because Jesus said in Matthew 16, he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we we see that. But one of the fastest growing problems in the church is the fact that um, we depart, or many have departed from the word of God. They're trusting in other things. They're trusting in men's books or their own philosophies or their cool ideas on how to get people involved in church instead of how to get them connected to the Lord, how to get them saved. And that's the important thing. And whether it's corporately or even individually, it's the same thing. Individual lives, corporately, with corporately, if the church leaves the truth of the Word of God, uh, then... Personal lives, if we leave the truth of God's word and we're not applying it to our lives, we're not taking it into our lives, then, you know, the church becomes weaker. Families become weaker. Individuals, we become weaker. And when we look at it, we say, what are we representing? And that's the whole idea, I think, for the church is we're to stand up knowing that we belong to Christ and that he is the answer To the world, and by you and I, we can be an example, as we'll see in Timothy's life, how he's to be an example as a young man in a place to where he might be overshadowed by older men, older people with great wisdom, but he is still to stay the course. You stay the course, Timothy, and we need men and women, young and old, staying the course, not having to worry about or not wanting to worry about or needing something else to come into their relationship with God to enhance it, but to understand that God is real and that he's all that we need. He's all sufficient. We, we have everything that we need from him. And so Paul, again, told Timothy, you're to feed the sheep and you're also to nourish yourself upon the word of God. So uh, Paul, again, writing to Timothy, but they would read this letter in the church. So this isn't just for pastors, though it's important that pastors pay attention, elders, leaders, all these, pay attention. But for each one of us who are fathers, wives, teens, who need to understand that there's a a big pull out there for you to get to do something, you know, to follow this or follow that, uh, maybe an influence or temptation. But we're to stand true on God's word. We're to be that, we're to nourish ourselves upon the word of God. So beginning in verse six, I love what what Paul says here. He says, if you instruct, and we left off with this uh, last week. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things. So he's saying, Timothy, it's you. If you instruct them. So he's going to say this again a little later uh, in a couple of places. The reference to the individual, it starts with the one. If you instruct the brethren to do these things, you're going to be that good minister. You have to do it. I have to do it. Timothy, it starts with you. The pastors, it starts with you. Fathers, it starts with you. Husbands, it starts with you. Wives, it continues on to you. Teens, again, it continues on to you as well. If we will instruct not only those in our sphere of influence, but ourselves in the word of God and be nourished with it ourselves, not just preach it, but preach it like we believe it, and then we're living it like we believe it. And so I was thinking about how the Lord was speaking to me lately. You know, during this time of kind of isolation, I've added something to my time with him that I've had in the past, but I'm I'm really placing an emphasis on it. And it's called respond. I, I I I want to respond to what I'm reading because that's the Lord speaking to my heart. And so I want to be instructed. He's given me instructions, and I have to believe that he wants to speak to me like he wants to speak to you. And so as we're Maybe in our morning devotions, that's the Lord speaking to us. And that we, we want to respond to that. And so it starts with me, I know. You know, sharing with the worship team before, as we were praying, sharing a, a few weeks before we were shut down into isolation, one of our uh, last Wednesday night services, I was up here and I was done teaching and I was praying and I was asking, because I know this is a kind of a, a problem I guess a problem within a lot of lives of believers is we come into our life with Christ, but we have to, um, you know, we carry around a lot of baggage. And so I was asking the Lord, Lord, free us up, free us up of these things. And I walked off the stage and began to worship as they were worship team was closing us off. And the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, it starts with you. And I, I got on my knees right before the stage here, just quietness with the Lord and said, Lord, Uh, start here. And what what do you want to talk to me about? And he was just speaking to me about insecurities, speaking to me about, you know, just the lack of faith at times that I have and and just dealing with me. So it starts with me and I understand that. But it just, you know, as you read this, it starts with you as well, that we need to instruct the brethren, but we also need to instruct ourselves and how to nourish ourselves because it's in his word. And that's where we're going to find the instructions. He goes on to say in verse six, nourished in the words of faith, and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. Check this out. So we know that it's God that has given us this word, so he's not going to fail us. When we're trusting in and receiving from the Lord, he's given us this word that we can bank upon. We, we can bank on. We can build our lives upon it, and we're not going to fail. He's not going to fail us. Though we may fail at times, he's not going to fail So He'll never fail us. And so when we look at this good doctrine and the way that we're to nourish ourselves, we work out in the world, live out in the world, that, um, you know, is, is evil. It's kind of it's got some things in it that I, I really don't want no part of my life in. But we have to work in that stuff. We communicate through, you know, our lives going to driving through the, the, the muck of this world, so to speak. But when we come back, we says I need a nurse now. I need a wash. And now I need to nourish myself, and that's kind of what he's talking about here. He's saying, you know what, you need to be instructed, and instructions are so important. And we're going to find the instructions for our lives in the Bible, in the Word of God. It's interesting, I tell this story, my wife and a bunch of her friends, and I can say this now because she's not here. I might catch it when I get home. But uh, they were, uh, several years ago, they were going down to Southern California, and they were going on a trip to visit some other friends. Much of her girlfriends were down there, and they were going to go take a drive down there and visit, and it was wonderful. But it was either there or on the way back. I think it was on the way back. You know, you're tired. You've been visiting, spending a lot of time up. And all of a sudden, they're coming up I-5, and, and really, literally, from our doorstep to uh, Southern California, it's a thousand miles roughly thereabout. But it's straight. And one of the drivers, and I don't know, r- remember who it was, but they were they were as people were sleeping, taking their times, they were w- seeing something that they hadn't seen before. And they said, they woke up the other people and they said, I don't remember this. Where are we? You see, the, the, the instructions weren't carefully followed. And it was just a, a straight shot in the, in, up I five. I don't know how you get lost, but I wasn't there. But the thing is, is when you, uh, when, when you carefully follow the instructions that we have, the word of God is there and it's not going to get us lost. It's straight and narrow. It's like, boom, here it is. Stick to it. And we're to do that for our lives. And and I think a lot of reasons why maybe a lot of Christians aren't strong in their faith is because they neglect that. To go to the Word, to to have that nourishment of God's Word in their lives, and we have that for us. He's not left us. He's given us everything that we need to mature, to grow, to build our faith, to trust in Him, to stand tall in the the, uh, situation that we're in and the world is in that we look out in the, into the uh, world and then they're saying, they're thinking, well, why are you laughing or why are you happy? Why are you, you know, because we have Jesus. The world's not my home, just punching the ticket, you know. And so Paul encourages Timothy not only to ins- be instructed, but to receive the instructions that are there, to be nourished by the word of God. But he also encourages to, to him to, to work out. You got to go to the gym in verse seven and eight. He, he talks about that. And it's so necessary that you and I would work out, we go to the God's gym, if you will. They used to have the shirts back when I first got saved, it was the Lord's gym. Probably still have them. Really cool, big buff guy out there, carrying a Bible. But but here we have this thing to where you think about the old person, when we come to faith in Christ, and we we have to push off that old person, right? And bring on the new person, that's exercise. I mean, that's something that we have to do, we, you know, working it out. And so we, we have to go to working these things out in our lives by God's word. The things that I brought into my relationship with Christ were carnal at best. And they weren't very good. They weren't very, you know, they, they weren't going to be edifying in my walk with Christ. And so as you begin to get in the word, you look at these things and we have to work these things out in God's word. Verse 70 says, But reject profane and old wives' tale and exercise. This is where we get our word gymnasium from it's gymnasal. In the Greek, exercise yourself towards godliness. Godliness, And there are many times I think that we allow ourselves to get bogged down with things that don't matter. And when you think about this profane things, you know, listening to things that we shouldn't listen to, they're not edifying, they're not going to encourage us, they're rather going to discourage us. And we're, we're, for you and I, we'll, find it best if we just excuse ourselves from these kind of conversations. Let me give you an example. Oh, just a couple of weeks ago, I heard from an acquaintance, or from a a very wonderful family member uh, about somebody who was acquaintance that I've known over the years, we've known over the years. And because of the days we're living in, some people get freaked out and they get all panicked, and so this person made a trip to their home, and they were began to, te- began to share with them rather abruptly, you know, and tell them that if they didn't listen to their ways, that their names wouldn't be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Are you kidding me? As if you have the authority, you know the scribe, or you are the scribe to that? Because they don't believe the way you believe in this conspiracy junk that's out there, and they're, they're, they're more honing into the Word of God because they have the truth here? Are you kidding? And see, many times people will do this. They'll be in these profane conversations or they'll be in these things, even conspiracy, because they have, they have no really basis in Scripture. Though they might have some truth in there, some validity in there, some type of, you know, something in their perks to the It's not the scripture, and oftentimes it'll it'll contradict the word of God. And so Paul says, he says, reject these things. You need to reject them. We need to find ourselves exercising ourselves by excusing ourselves from those conversations. Then even old wise fables, this isn't meaning older wives, you shouldn't listen to them. What he's talking about is um, silly tales like a grandmother might say to their children. You know, just silly tales. They're not going to be building up. They have no edification to the body of Christ. And so Paul is saying, you know what? Just excuse yourself from these things. Don't follow these things. And, and then Paul admonishes Timothy. He says, remain true to the good doctrine which you have closely followed up until now. This is where you need to be. Look, we're in a, we're in a day and age where we never traveled through this stuff before. We, you know, we've never been here. And we're looking at things that are so crazy out there in the world today. And we're thinking, I mean, if, if we're thinking biblically, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Like he's going to get us out of here. Like like at any moment, I've been sharing that so often, you know, I, I, I am just filled with joy. Because I didn't know that I might be that last generation. And though I, he may even tarry past my understanding of it, that I'm just like so excited that, wow. It just, to me, it's like really shown me more and more of the world that I don't need to invest in, except for the people. And so Paul is saying, you know what, work these things out spiritually. And he says in verse 7, and exercise, again, gymnazo, in the Greek, that exercise yourself towards godliness. So there's a, there's a thing that he says here that is so important. You're to train yourself. Here he is again speaking about the responsibility of the individual. Timothy, yes, he's speaking to Timothy, but we just don't cancel that out because Timothy's come and gone. We take it into ourselves. And he's saying, you too, you. We have to be men and women that are going to exercise ourselves in godliness. We have that responsibility to take that upon ourselves. Instead of pointing out, listen, we, we can all pretty much point out the spiritual flaws of those around us. That's not what he's saying. I can't even get a chapter and verse on that. When it comes to bringing, uh, uh, you know, trying to make ourselves look good. You know, there are plenty of chapters that we could talk about. Uh, you know, when it talks to we need to help one another out. But it's like Planck Eye Syndrome. And we're making sure that we're not just, you know, worried about everybody else and their spiritual growth. We make a terrible Holy Spirit, but we're to worry about our own salvation, we're to worry about our own things that God is doing in us individually. Are you going to the gym? To, to, to God's word gym? Are you going there and working things out in your life? Since the day you were saved, you came and gave your life to Christ, has that mouth of yours changed? Has the anger subsided? Has the drinking been set aside? I mean, is God cleaning you up? Are you allowing him to have priority in your life? Are you allowing him to have that, that um, preeminence? Because these are the things that, you know, when we go to the, to the gym, it's, workout, it's a heavy weight, man. I need to push this anger off. I need to, you know, and I need to pull, you know, pull that godliness on me. I need to pull, push off that old man and bring on that new man. See, it's not about church attendance. That's good. We can't have it now, but it's good to be in church. It's not good not to forsake the fellowship of the brethren. But what are we doing? You know, are we going to that gym and working out spiritually? Look at Paul wrote in Philippians chapter two, and he says, "Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and not so much in my uh, not as in my presence only." But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is not saying that you can do these things in in, um, Philippians, the verse that I read, nor in Timothy, you can't do these things to become saved or do these things to better yourself, uh, have a better opportunity or better percentage to get to heaven. But these things are things that you should and I should be working out in our lives that don't belong in our lives any longer. Again, when we came to faith in Christ, we should see some progress. We should be going to the gym of God's Word and allowing Him, allowing the Word of God sharper than any two-edged sword. Say, I want to cut that anger out. I want to cut that drinking. I want to cut that. I want to cut that. I want to cut it out of your life. And when God gets a hold of it, you notice in that passage in Philippians, He says, For it's God's work. It's God who works in you. I'm okay with that. I mean, I go to the surgeon. I had major surgery last year, and I had to put my trust in God that he would work through the surgeon. When it comes to our spiritual lives, we just trust God, and he knows best what he's doing, and that he's going to do a work in us. But it's God. We have to have faith that God is at work in us. He doesn't want that in our lives anymore. He doesn't want that anger, that tongue, or he doesn't want that, you know, just that bad attitude. He doesn't want that lying, cheating. He doesn't want that stuff in our lives. And there should be a, a moment, not just a point of demarcation where we come to walk with him, but, uh, you know, to give our lives to him, but we come to him. And he's saying, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And then the work begins to a sanctification process. It should be okay. Listen, in that Philippians chapter 2 again in verse 12, Paul points out that human responsibility saying the same thing is for you and I. We have this human responsibility. And then in verse, thir- in, in verse 13 uh, of Philippians 2, he said that, that God tells us it's his work. So what are you afraid of? It's, it's his work. He's doing the work. What are we afraid of? We just want salvation but don't want to be sanctified? We want to be justified, but sanctification, we're kind of, no, oh, oh God, he can't touch that. He can't touch my whatever. Really? God God wants to do that. He died on the cross not just to save us, but to change us, to, to conform us into his image. And I think of verse 13 again. It says that Paul has no problem reconciling the two, man's responsibility, and God's sovereignty. God's going to work this out if we let him work it out. See, we have that responsibility. And say so going to God's gym again, when you think about that, <coughs> excuse me, the, the, the um, verb workout means uh, work in full completion. It's like a mathematical problem. You take this problem out there and you see these professors that write this thing all over the, the, the chalkboard. You've seen some pictures or some, uh, you know, uh, guys that have written it all over the walls. So they saying, work it out. I used to be able, when I was in eighth grade, Montgomery Junior High School, uh, and maybe it was ninth grade, but I was sitting there in in, uh, mathematics class. Mr. Archibald uh, was a teacher, Um, and he was the math teacher. He'd write the problem on the board. I could figure it out. I mean, I knew the answer. I couldn't figure it out. I just had that way of just looking at it. I knew the answer. But we don't have that way when it comes to the Lord. It just doesn't come that easy. It's just like, you know, you see the equation, you got to work it out. Oh yeah, I got I got the answer. But when it comes to our spiritual walk, we have to walk this thing out. We have to let the Holy Spirit look, take this thing from our lives. And so, when you think about this, what does what does this exercise look like? What does this spiritual ex- exercise look like? Look, pushing off the temptations, pushing off the problems, right? And then curling up in God's word, working those Working, working out the, the, the muscles of faith. I need God's word. And then, we are not to forget our knee bends because we need to be on our knees in prayer. So we're working these things out. We oftentimes, we get it backwards and we flee the church. We need to, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.11, but you, O man of God, flee these things. This is the lustful desires of the flesh that he's talking about. And pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love patience gentleness where this we're to flee the the lustful things and we're to pursue the righteousness and that's found in the church we don't leave the church when we're tempted we run to the church we run to our brothers and sisters run to the congregation you can't do that now but you know you, you can still call making a phone call send an email so he's saying you know what we have to go to the gym look at verse 8 again he says, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promised uh, the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. You know, all of those, myself included, to a small degree, got to say that, uh, who have spent time in the gym before this virus hit, they're recognizing something right now that their workouts are sidelined. They're recognizing something. You know, th- those who had made their se- their gym the second home, what are they doing now? They're doing the same thing you and I are doing. They're watching gravity set in. They're watching all those muscles they had. Uh, well, they're not as hard and strong as they were. And they're crying, I, you know, I just got to get to the gym. I, you know, they're doing counter push-ups. <laughs> they're doing whatever workout that they do. Uh, but, but what a great time. You see, the profitability of having worked out spiritually is going to bring greater dividends than any type of physical exercise that we do. Listen, we have the world that is worried out there. What are we doing? What's going on? What's happening? You know, our neighbors frightened, you know, or your coworkers are scared. But we Christians, we're standing tall because we saw this, you know, this joy about us because we've been in the word of God. See, it's a promise of the life that now is. I can live this life in the hope of God because I trust in him. My my trust isn't in these finances or the economy or whatever it might be. It's trusting in God. And so every Christian, you know, you think about, you know, spends tons of money on their physical lives or they keep physically fit. But Paul here says, listen, you know what? Physical... Being physical fit is not a bad thing. I mean, it's, you can do that. But there's more profit in keeping yourself fit spiritually. Right? Look at verse 8 for bodily exercise profits a little. How long do you want to live? I mean, you're gonna it's gonna profit you a little bit. So I think John Corson years ago said, for every hour you work out, you get to live an hour longer. Well, you just wasted that hour working out. But what he's saying is that it doesn't—it doesn't bring forth the profit that spiritual exercise brings. I'm saying again that physical exercise isn't bad, and not to pick on anyone, but I just—you just think of these things: that how much is that physical exercise helping you now that you're quarantined and that you're going through a trial in life. Now that you got kids running around and, and, you know, the wife or your husband's at home now more often or whatever the case may be, you know, how's that physical exercise working out for you? So much more, the spiritual exercise would be beneficial, wouldn't it? Because we're trusting in the Lord. We just have that peace about us. See, ex- exercising godliness has great rewards, but it also takes great commitment. Discipleship takes discipline. And we've got to want that. The church right now, I think, I believe really that the Lord has given us the time to take some time of reflection, to look in, to see what we have, to see what we're doing, to see what's in our hearts, to see, hey, Lord, what do you want to talk to me about? You know, I can't do these things that I used to do and that I would normally do. And so <clears throat> how is it? And what are these things that are in our lives? So we're just to be like that Olympian who would be sacrificing ourselves to the um, the authority of our trainers—they'd say, "No, you can't eat that. Nope, I wouldn't, you can't have that. You got to wake up this time. You got to go to bed that time." It's training, and that's what we want to find ourselves doing—is training ourselves in godliness. Because bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness has great rewards. Look at verse nine. <clears throat> it says, "This is a faithful saying; you can count on it and worthy of all acceptance." For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. The NIV puts it this way. He puts it, and we, we labor and strive. We labor and strive. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. For all this, we labor and strive. For all of these things, we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God who is a savior of all, amen, and especially those who believe. The word strive is that athletic word where where we get the word agonize. It's like giving it your all to win the competition that you're in and not letting go. I'm gonna push through. Look, I can't block that defender anymore, but I'm gonna block him for the sake of winning the game running the mile or running the extra the extra quarter mile left in the marathon or extra 2 miles left in the marathon that you have pushing through with everything that you have that's the way you and I are to live our lives for the lord you see we'll work hard for many things in life we'll work hard for you know homes and and cars and lifestyles vacations and all this stuff but you know we need to find ourselves putting that much and even more effort into our relationship with the Lord. I mean, this is the importance that Paul is placing on this here, labor and striving. And then in in verses 11 through 16, as we wrap up, in verses 11 through 16, Paul is going to bring out 10 uh, present imperatives that these are things that he's speaking to presently you must be doing. Not just to Timothy, but as Timothy reads it to the church, that it's going to be found in their lives that they are, you're to do. We're we're not exempt 2,000 years later. You and I are to find these same things. So look at verse 11. He says, these things command and teach. Command is to insist on. So you insist on these things. Timothy, you're going to teach them. You're going to insist on them. And obviously, they're going to start with you. And by these things, what Paul is prodding Timothy To do is be firm and courageous in your ministry. You need to. You know, don't cave in with the majority that, well, you know what, come as you are and stay that way. But come as you are and let the power of God change you. You might be watching on live stream today and you're thinking, you know, I can't come to church. Yeah, but you can come to Jesus. You can come to him and give your life to him. And watch these things that, as we continue to command and teach these things, how the Word of God comes into your life, how He just speaks clearly to your heart. This isn't just for pastors. This is just for all who who come to the Lord. And you know what? For me, I think um, I want to preach it like I believe it. I want to believe it like He's coming today. And I want to act like He's coming today by the way I live my life for Him. So I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to keep on keeping on. But to each of us, we should have this great determination, a determining factor that we want to trust in the Lord, that we're going to command and teach these things for our own lives. And command and teach that the church will work out in godliness, command and teach that They will stay away from all this yickety-yap, these fables and these old wise fables and these senseless arguments and stick to the code, stick to the Bible. Look, let's not get caught up in that stuff. We need men and women and they need to see us. What what are we standing on? Are we getting pulled away by this or by that? Look, at these things command and teach. For for the lack of the physical exercise, you think about it, uh, many of us, I'll include myself, we look at things and... uh, we think, man, this lack of physical exercise is doing something to me. And so there's something you can do about it, right? You buy bigger clothes. But what do we do when we lack spiritual exercise? I mean, it's so obvious that we're out of shape. You know, to a guy, we might say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. I say, all right, move aside. Let me ask your wife or your children or the vice versa. Hey, gal, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Let me ask your husband or your children. You know, it's easy to see when we're physically out of shape, when we all get back together, don't clown on anybody. <laughs> I think everybody is going to be uh, out of physical shape, but hopefully we're in spiritual shape. Hopefully God has been ministering to our hearts. And see, we could tell that we're out of shape by looking at somebody and, and not to judge anybody, but you know, oh, they've been in hibernation for a while. You know, I could see that. They haven't been, have uh, been exercising. But but for spiritually, we tell when we're out of shape, when we, you know, we come to our next trial in life. Our true colors are clearly going to be seen. And so we look at these things. It's evident. So we're to command and we're to teach. You just keep teaching it on the husbands, again, the fathers, the wives, the children, the teens, all of this for ourselves. And then look at verse 12. He says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example, Uh, you know, in the words, to the believers So he's saying despise, that means don't look down upon or don't think against. You know, Timothy didn't have it as easy as some might think. He was a younger man in his mid-30s, probably at this time. And in those days, they didn't think you were wise until you were maybe in your 60s. You had a lot of wisdom there, you know, the, the great philosophers of their time. So Timothy was a man, maybe struggling in some ways with the older men or with the people that would look down upon him, but Paul says that don't let anything intimidate you in the ministry that you're called to do. That you are to push forward. You need to make sure that you're keeping, you know, you keep these things in mind, that it might be tough, but you need to be tougher. You need to make sure that you're, uh, you know, that no one despise you. And you think about any of our inadequacies or our Maybe we're not caught up. I mean, I do this in my own life. I think, you know, I've gone through this over and over. And from year to year at times, it seems like it comes back. The enemy wants to beat me up. Says, you know what? You are a nobody. You know what I have to tell him? You're right. I'm a nobody. But in God's hands, I am mighty. And God would use each and every one of us in that manner. So keep in mind what Timothy's going through here. As he's writing this letter, right around that time, Uh, 62 to 64 AD, somewhere around there. Nero is getting ready to burn down Rome because of all the Christians. I mean, that's a part of it, right? And so you have, he's gonna burn down Rome. And then in 97 AD, Timothy at 80 years old begins to try and halt this procession of this uh, honor. They're having this procession of this, uh, the goddess Diana through Ephesus, the very place he's been a pastor bringing change to it, and um, the angry mobs beat him up, and they kill him, and they stone him to death. Timothy, from your young age to your old age, don't let anything despise you. Don't let no one despise you. Because in the hands of God, you're going to fulfill the ministry that God has called you to, and that goes for every last one of us. Whatever God has called us to, we need to fulfill that and not be ashamed of it. They say, God, I'm, I'm not fit. I mean, how many men do we read in the Bible that says, I'm not fit, I'm not a man of words, I stumble, I do this. I do... And when we get ourselves, get, get us off the eye and put them on him, we're in much better shape. And Paul has placed this young man, I think of Timothy, in a 35 years old, in the, kind of in the middle of a lion's den, hungry lion's den, if you will. And imagine how they felt. Even the disciples were sent out when Jesus said, I send you out as lamb amongst wolves. What? And they were 20. They were in their 20s when in Jerusalem. They were in their 20s when they came to that place of saying, you know what, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, well, wait here until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he goes up to heaven. What? Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Timothy wasn't going to change uh, Ephesus, with the idea of putting you know this thing of coming in for two years like a lot of pastors will go on for two years and it'll be moved on but he was expecting to expect you better expect change to take place the things will happen you're not going to go in and out you're not going to be able to hit the circuit whatever the case may be but in order for that change to remain and to take place you got to remain immovable Sometimes that's the thing, trials will hit you, trials will come upon you. As a pastor, we've had trials, I've had many of them. But if you don't remain where God has you, he's not going to be able to work through you in that situation. And then he says, be this example, right? In verse 12, he's talking about being an example in godliness. Be this example in godliness. And he says, be an example to the believers. And many people, even Christians, are looking for examples How do I walk through this time that I'm I'm in? How do I look at life the way God would have me look at it? I am am overwhelmed with thoughts and with doubt and with all of these things. And they need you and I. They need people around them, Christians, godly men and women that are going to come alongside of them and lift their arms up in their time of weakness. And we need to be that for people. They're looking for good examples. And so just before Jesus' death, he said in John 13, 15, For I have given you an example. So he showed the disciples what they were to do. That they should have done, he says, that you should do as I have done to you. Serve one another. Wash their feet. Hold up their arms, their weary arms. And and he says here, we're to do this. We're to be this example in word. That's our speech. Timothy should not allow his tough situation to control what comes out of his mouth. Moms and dads were the same way. Teens, you're the same way. I know you want to get outside, hang out with your friends, and it's like I can't get outside. I can't do the. Well, you know what? Just chill. We all we're all going through this, but every one of us needs to be an example in what comes out of our mouth, in word, in conduct. He says that's our behavior. But you know what? What do people look at us in our neighborhood or our work where they oh you go to church? Like, did you go to ch- I didn't know you go to church. What, what's that? Is there convoluted message that we're sending? Or in love, he says. I want you to be an example in love. That's the greatest evangelistic tool in the world is the church loving one another. Jesus says, by this we will, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then in spirit. Why does he say in spirit? Because we can never be in a good, a good example of godliness when we're in the flesh. So we need to have this sweet spirit about us. Not this cantankerous spirit to where what's going on. I don't know. I'm just all freaked out. I don't know what's going on. Oh, what's happening? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a lie. I think all this stuff. You know, it's like, okay, just be filled with the spirit, right? Just have that sweet spirit about you. In faith, you know, he says, we're to, we're to live by faith and not by sight. I don't understand what's going on. But I know who is in control. And I look to the word of God, and I know God's in control. So I want to be an example. I'm standing in faith in the God who raises the dead. What are others seeing in us as we come to this time that the world is in? What are they seeing as an example? Then he says, uh, in purity. You know, we live our lives in this mucked up world, and we got to look and we got to think, you know, it's important that we live in a way to where we're living in purity in the midst of this evil world. you got you to remember, Ephesus was known for pornography. They were known for walking right in your midst. You didn't have, a, you didn't have to tune into it on the internet or on a channel or anything like that. There was walking pornography in, in Ephesus at this time. They were known for sexual impurities. And Timothy, you're going to be faced with temptation, but you know what? You are to keep yourself, your mind, your heart, your body, everything about you. You need to keep pure. So when you look at something, when something comes up across you, I need Lord, I need to do business with you now and get it out of my thoughts and minds, and then be an example by putting the emphasis on God's word, the word of God. That's the very thing that can bring change. Look at verse thirteen. Till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation and doctrine. Reading, that's a public reading. We shouldn't be afraid to carry our Bibles wherever we go and read it in our lunch breaks, wherever we are. But in the church, that's why we stand and we give honor to God's word as it's been brought in. as Nehemiah did the same thing with Ezra. We give honor to the word of God. It was a common thing in the synagogues back then as the churches. In exhortation, he says, that's encouragement. That's where we apply the word of God to our lives. We're just not hearing it. Ooh, that was a good message. Look at it. When we come back don't leave the sanctuary when we're able to gather back. Don't leave the sanctuary after a message. Go out there and start talking about fishing or, or, or you know, hey, how many quilts you sewed? I'm, I'm just saying we need to have what is God saying to us? I'll be so quick to those things. Let me say that. And what is the, Am I applying it? Am I hearing what God wants me to hear? Am I applying it to our lives? Again, it's that responding. Are we responding to the word of God? And then he says doctrine. That's where we get the teaching aspect of the Word of God. You know what? We need to give attention to that. That's God speaking. You come to church, that's God speaking. Hopefully the pastor is bringing it right from the Word, right into our lives, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking to us. That's God speaking to us. He's using a vessel, but it's still the Lord. So He's saying, you, you know, make sure that you give attention to these things, and then even be an example by using your spiritual gifts. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which has been given to you by prophecy and laying on the hands of the eldership. Every one of us in the church has a spiritual gift. Whatever it is, we've got to find out what it is and we've got to use that so, so it brings growth to the body of Christ. There's not a position in there that is, you know, oh, I can't serve there because somebody else is serving there. If that is your gift, join on with them. That's what it's all about. See, Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in chapter four and said, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So he's he telling like the whole body, we all have gifts. The Lord didn't leave any one of us out away from gifts, and we're just to use those things. Find out what it is. Pray, God, what is that that I, needed, I, I I, have that you've given to me that you want me to use for the benefit of the body of Christ? And then he says, do not neglect. Do not be careless. And the example in verse 15 is, we also want to meditate. He says, example of this devotedness to the Lord, meditate on these things. Verse 15, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Meditate takes care of the mind. What's on our mind? Again, Paul says meditate on these things or meditate on being that good example. Meditate on giving attention to the word. Meditate on the stirring up of the spirit of the gifts that God has given you. Meditate on that. Do we spend any time, Lord, how do you want me to be used in the body? Even now. How do you want me to be used in the body of Christ? How do you want me, though we're isolated, we can't be connected together? And I might forget this thing in three weeks or maybe in three hours, this message that I'm hearing right now, unless I take it to heart. Unless I write it down I say, Lord, you're speaking to me. Unless I take it serious, he says, you know what, meditate on these things. These things are the things that are worth meditating on, not the things that are out there in the world. You know, when is this virus going to get over? So everybody wants to know, myself included. But it doesn't take precedence over meditating on the things that we need to give ourselves entirely over to them. Um, And then, you know, as we remember, Jesus said, listen, you can't serve two masters. May we be about the, the Lord who called us. And then he says that your progress may be evident to all. You know, it's been said if you're not progressing in the Lord that you might be digressing. People need to see growth. It's encouraging. Because we all have problems that we're hoping the Lord to work out too. And when we see growth in others, it encourages us that, wow, look at that growth that's going on. We see how God is doing It, it is possible. When I tell stories about my own life, about how much of a, bad person I was before Christ and how even coming to Christ, my anger problems and my, my stuff that God had to deal with. I don't share that with you because I have nothing else to say. It's a reality. It's a reality. I want you to be encouraged that if God can change me, oh, you don't know me before I was a believer, before I was a child of God. But when God got a hold of me, I share that with you only because this is a real deal. Not because I'm the real deal, but he's a real deal working through me and in me and the same that he wants to do in you. There should be growth. There should be growth in our faith, growth in the way we speak, growth in our love for one another, growth in our forgiveness, growth in, you know, the raising up of, of our kids, growth in our, our service to the Lord, growth in these things. That people are noticing more and more you have no time for me, you know, <laughs> as far as, you know, hey, well, how come we're not going and doing this or that or the other thing? We used to do this all the time. Yeah, I got saved. I got saved. I remember when I first moved up here, started working in the Northwest, moved up here 30 years ago, and the guys used to ask me, say, hey, what are you going to do? How are you going to you know, what are you going to do today? What are you doing this weekend? And, and I had moved up here as a young Christian. I didn't know what to do. And I, and I remember just wanting to get uh, in tune with the Lord. That was my heart. I want to get in tune with the Lord. And um, they say, hey, you want to go do this? Want to go do that? No, no, no. Where are you going to go? I'm going to go to the church. Um, I wasn't a leader at the time. I just wanted to serve God. I just wanted to serve the Lord. It's all that mattered. It still does. It's all that matters. For every one of us, we need to show that growth and a testimony to others that we're growing in the Lord. We're growing in the things that we're hearing. When we come back to church, they, they might see growth in us, not physically, hopefully, but uh, spiritually. People will hear. I mean, people can't wait to give hugs and high fives. And maybe I don't know whether it be elbow bumps or whatever. But we're, we're, we want to hear from the Lord. What did God do? What did God speak to your heart about, right? And so let's close this off with verse 16. And while we'll the worship team come up here and close. You, you know, he says, um, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Again, the emphasis is on the individual. It's on you, if you. Take heed to yourself. Don't worry about your husband. Husband, don't worry about your wife. Wife, Don't worry about your husband. You know, you, we have to worry about our children to some degree. But if you're training them right, should be less worried. And so we're coming to this place of saying, you know, take heed to yourself, again, to you, to me. How is God speaking to our hearts, and are we doing this stuff? Continuing them, not take heed of the doctrine, but then, then uh, continuing them, not just when you hear the message, you say, "Oh, that was good." All right, man, that was profitable. I like that, but really in the place to where we're we're he- taking heed, and, and, and ourselves, that every one of us individually, no matter if you're a believer this morning, you're taking heed, and you're you're not a believer, and you don't know Jesus, and this morning you're coming and saying, "Well, what do I do?" Well, the message, you come to him, that you give your life to him. That you just say, Lord, come into my life. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. He's not going to let you down. If you don't have a Bible, we want to hear from you? Just jot down on one of the, whatever they, they're called, the social media platforms, to make a response. I want a Bible. I need a Bible. We'll get you a Bible. But, but that's the thing. It's like we come to Christ. So the Christian, what do we do? We continue in these things. We don't just say, well, that was a good message. All right, let's go. What do you want for lunch? No, meditate on these things. What does God have for us? And let me close with this. Our conduct is very important as we live our lives under the Lord. Look at verse 12 again. Remember Paul wrote to Timothy, let no one despise you. Let no one despise your youth. And for you and I, we fill in the blank. Let no one despise, fill in the blank, despise your what? Look at, don't let people talk you down. If you're saved, stand up for Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And seriously consider this. Paul wrote to uh, the Philippians, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself uh, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to the things which are ahead, I press towards the goal uh, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, do you find yourself totally given over, entirely given over to the things of the Lord? Timothy has to learn that. I have to learn that. We all have to learn that. Whatever it is that God wants of us, that so we're saying, you know what, Lord, take it. And we need to grow in the Lord and show signs of this spiritual maturity Look at that we might show. Look at God is working in me and I'm trusting in him and all of these things. But it doesn't come by osmosis. It comes by working out and giving way to the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you for this time, for your word. So encouraging.
0: We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you. And so do we.